Mira Kadura, founder CEO of Red End Company, Red & Co. No, ECD. <laughs> I'm starting over. I'm like, sure, see, I just got a CEO title. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is why we don't do it live. Mira Kadura grew up in Beirut, where she witnessed war firsthand. A native Arabic and French speaker with a striking head of frizzy red hair, she learned how to live life as someone who stands out very early. It served her well when she moved to Virginia to attend VCU Brand Center and mastered another language, English. The themes of inclusion, representation, the other, all color her design philosophy. After 10 years at Wyden and Kennedy Portland, she founded the agency Red In Company, which she says focuses on non-disposable work for brands. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age, which I will let you decide how disposable it is. You are listening to the AdLib podcast, and Mira Kadora joins me today to discuss Red and & Coat and its ethos. The agency has partnered with Google on an initiative to teach girls to code and with Lululemon to take yoga out of the studio. In 2018, Red & Co. developed global brand strategy for Netflix and created the Make Room campaign, the platform's showcase for talent and stories that are often overlooked, underrepresented, or missing in most mass media. We'll discuss all this, plus her unique background, and yes, the coronavirus, and more as we toss it to Mira. Uh, Mira Kadura, founder and ECD of Red & Company, Red & Co. Welcome to the AdLib podcast. Thanks for having it's me. lovely to have a fellow uh, wild-maned ginger <laughs> in the booth. Uh, do we wash our hands? Sanitizer? We're all clean here? We're all good. Okay, good. Uh, no coughs this morning? No coughs. Like how, how is the... Uh, how is... How is everything? How is the, obviously mm. the thing that everyone's talking about, thinking about, stressed out about is is this virus. Um, that's not what this podcast is going to be about. But how are you doing? How is this affecting you? Is this uh, an issue for you? Uh, I'm okay. I'm trying to I'm trying to um, focus on the things that I can control versus the things I can't control. Right. That's the best approach. It seems to be. Um, so let's let's not bury the lead. Let's get to why you're here. Why why we uh, like you. You were uh, named a ad age woman to watch last year, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, what I think is interesting is you're very vocal about the fact that only. 0.1%, one-tenth of a percent of agencies are founded by women, uh, which is a shocking stat. It's more shocking than the 3% statistic, right, of creatives. So tell us, it may sound like an obvious question, but I would love to hear your answer. Tell, tell us why that matters and what you're doing about it, aside from starting your own agency. Why that matters, representation. Absolutely. You know, like the world is not, 1% female yeah. or 0.1% female. Um, so I think it matters because everybody should have a seat at the table, you know, and I think everything gets better when that happens, when you can see yourself um, in an industry, when you could see yourself in a field, when you can see that your voice matters. I think that's really important. And I think that's that's kind of why I ended up starting this because I felt like there's a voice that isn't represented, you know. Um, and that we we this industry is just going to get better because of it. Yeah, and and since you started it, and you're 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 talking a lot about it. You you did a TEDx talk. Um, are you seeing change? Is there is that number budging? And what 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 can be done to budget? Am I seeing it budge? I don't 
I, not really. Yeah. <laughs> not really, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and it's been seven years, right? Since you it's been six it. years, seven, yeah. Six. I'm not seeing it budge. I think there's a lot of talk about diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. in every industry, not mm-hmm. just our industry. But until there's money behind that talk, um, it's not real, right? So what can be done? I think clients stop talking about it and start putting money behind it. It's as simple as that. That's how you'll see more people of color, more women, more just diverse people founding agencies and trying to have a voice in this industry. It's really about money. Like if you don't have somebody paying you to do that thing, you don't have a thing. Right. You don't have the incentive. It's sort of what when he was at HP, Antonio Lucio was doing with uh, by claiming that the, he would only work with agencies that were at least half yeah. staffed by a female exec. Yeah, right? and a lot of a lot of companies are putting so much pressure on their agencies to hire female, to hire people of color, to hire people that are of different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. But then the founders are very non-diverse, right? right? So instead of doing that, or in addition to doing that, actually, why not also open up who you hire in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because... I think when you hire a different point of view, when it's in the DNA of a company, that diversity is baked into the DNA, you're just going to have a different way of thinking mm-hmm. just in general in that agency instead of kind of trying to put a square peg in a round hole, right? Um, and it's great that we're trying to diversify this industry, but I think also being open to, like, I'd love to see procurement make that a mandate, right? Like not just let's pressure some agencies to get more um, female-founded agencies or agencies founded by different people of different ethnicities or different backgrounds, but also like make that a mandate that you have to consider just like, you know, the whole um, free the bid did or free the work did, you know, consider one woman for every triple bid job. Do that with when you're hiring an actual like agency as well you know there's all these reviews like make sure that one of them is diverse Mm -hmm. well let's talk about where how you sort of went out into your own and what what prompted you because i think your story as to why you founded your own agency is is interesting you were you were at wyden and kennedy for 10 years uh you went freelance and we can talk about why and then ultimately hung your own shingle which is uh a daunting thing to do, um, especially given the statistics that you that you cite. Uh, what prompted you to go out on your own? It happened way more organically than me kind of leaving Wyden and going, I'm going to start an agency. Um, you know, I left Wyden for a million reasons, but I left Wyden because I was kind of at that point where I just felt ready for a new adventure, and I felt I'd been there for 10 years. You know, I always say, Getting to work at Wyden was one of the best decisions of my life, and leaving Wyden was one of the best decisions of my life. Like, sometimes you just need to know when to let go of something. Mm-hmm. And it was just that opportunity to just go out into the world and see what else there was, right? And then I um, I went out there to not just, you know, kind of explore. I wanted to do some art. I wanted to do other stuff. And then slowly... I started freelancing, and what freelance kind of taught me, when I left Wyden, I was like, ah, do I want to do this thing, you know, anymore? And when I was freelancing, I realized, like, okay, not only am I good at what I do and people are paying me to do it, but also there's all these opportunities. Like, it just made it more clear to me how much opportunity there was in this industry. And I started seeing things and going, what if we could do this differently, or what if we could do that differently, or what if we could, oh, look at this. Like, this could have been done so much easier, so much better. 
And then slowly I just started freelancing, not just with agencies, but with clients. And then those clients started asking for more stuff that, you know, one person couldn't do. And then I'm like, I need a strategist. I need a comps planner. You know, I need more people. And then I'm like, I guess we call this an agency. So it happened really organically because the demand was there and people were seeing the value that I was adding. Um, and then we basically, you know, got a space, renovated it. And within three weeks, we had Google as a client. So it just happened really organically. It wasn't like, I'm going to go um, and start this agency to kind of prove a point. You know, it didn't come from that place. It actually came, there's a need. People really are gravitating towards what we have to offer. And, and there's something really interesting about what we're doing that others aren't. Right. And so, so then what, what is Red & Co.'s core proposition? I mean, I know that you guys recently sort of pivoted your positioning. Uh, what was, what's your differentiator? What's your secret sauce? What, what, is, what is it? Um, so we're actually in the process of do, redoing our website, which should launch in a few weeks, which should have all of this. But um, I think what we realized late last year is that a lot of times um, clients are coming to us not knowing what they want to make, but they do know that they have a problem. So I think our value, we realize that our biggest value is how to kind of dig into that problem and try to help them solve it. And the answer is not always calm. So it's not always a TV spot. It's not always a piece of communication. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's solved in different ways. Sometimes it could be a product, a IP. A, you know, there's just a million ways to solve a problem. And I think client, we, we're getting a lot of um, some of our best relationships are kind of upstream with clients where we're really kind of getting in there, digging into the problem, trying to break it down, see where the opportunities are, and try to figure out how do we solve those. And that's kind of, I think, our biggest value. Because yes, we, we you know, my background being from Wyden and working on Nike for 10 years, like we can make amazing things, but sometimes you don't even know what you want to make, right. you know? But you do know you have a problem and you really need a partner to help you solve that so problem. So this is getting into the sort of the business transformation space or the consulting area that you're seeing a lot of, a lot more agencies doing than they, they used to do. Yeah, so I'd say probably we're doing more like 70, 30. So 30% is like, yes, we make things for our okay. clients. And, you know, Netflix Make Room is a perfect example. And that's and that was about increasing diversity in the entertainment industry. Yeah, so, you know, they came to us initially. So it's interesting how these projects start. They came to us initially to work on their global brand strategy. Mm -hmm. And that was over a few months. Of over a few months. And then through that process, we started seeing different opportunities for them and saying, hey, this is a really interesting opportunity. Have you guys thought of this? Oh, hey, here's another really interesting opportunity, and here's another one, and here's another one. And then we ended up writing briefs for all those different opportunities and then concepting, you know, under each of those briefs. And then one of those ended up being make, the make room mm -hmm. spot. But it didn't start out as like, hey, we want to make a piece of, you know, comms. It started as everybody's coming for our piece of the pie. How do we you know, what's, what makes us different and how do we kind of, um, really like own the things that make us different. So that's where it started. Yeah. Make room. But you said, for example, that when you were taking time off that you were, you were freelancing, but also doing art, you actually started life as a conceptual 
artist, right? That was your, your you, well, didn't, you didn't set out to get into advertising. Well, you know, it's interesting because I have my background. I went to VCU Brand Center, so mm-hmm. I actually do have a master's degree in mass communication. Mm-hmm. But when I was there, I worked on an art project that made its way, a conceptual interactive art project that made its way to Dan Wyden's desk. And Dan hired me at Wyden, not because of a traditional ad portfolio, but because of this piece of art that I did. Explain what that art is. It's cool. Um, It's basically when I first moved to the U.S. So I come from a place where nobody believes anything anybody says in the media. You know, everybody's just constantly criticizing everything and kind of making their own, looking at different sources and making their own kind of conclusions. And when I first moved to the U.S., you know, I I remember watching Fox News and watching how many people, you know, obviously I moved to Richmond, Virginia. I watch how many people kind of consume this media as if it was the truth, as if it was like a Bible. And that's kind of, you know, that's the way it is. Taking it at face value. Yeah, Yeah. taking it at face value. And I was like really shocked that nobody questioned like things. Fox specifically or the whole Just Fox and then other things. Like I don't know where people were getting their information from, but they would come – you know, to me and start these conversations. And I'd be like, how do you know that that's true? That's not true, you know? Um, And I would just question them. And I realized that they weren't questioning anything. They were just kind of, this is the way it is. Oh, people from here are like this, or this is whatever it is. You know, it could be like on a million different topics. And that inspired me to create a project where I did this huge mural with all these different images that you saw in the media, you know? look like this, eat like this, uh, learn like this, uh, friends like this, whatever, you know, a million different ways that the media is kind of telling you what to believe or what to think. Or um, And underneath this big, huge mural, there was a box asking you for your opinions. And people kind of took the time, there was these little pieces of paper with questions, and people took the time to fill them out. And as soon as they kind of went to put their opinions in this opinions box, I had hidden a shredder in there mm-hmm. and it just would shred their opinions. And people were like, oh my fucking God, like do ads like this, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, it was just like, okay, well, that's a good way of making a point, you know? So did people, how do people respond to that? Did they laugh or did Oh they, yeah. Like, they'd laugh and they yeah. go, oh my God. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like they just realize like that they're being, you know, fed right. this, all this information. Um, so that's what basically got me into Wyden and Kennedy, that project. Like, Dan saw that and said, she she's going to know how to do big TV spots or whatever he wanted me to do at the time. But, like, he saw the potential of, like, that conceptual sh- thinking and being able to apply that to brand thinking. And, you know, I went in there and started making all these big And, yeah, TV, the rest, the rest know, is so, history. Yeah, yeah the, the, one of my favorite pieces of work that you did was the I Feel Pretty commercial with uh, Maria Sharapova. Mm. Um, and so your a lot of your work has this challenging of uh, the, ha, opinions to this challenging of perceptions of mm-hmm. things. So um, the that art project made me think of. Did you see the Banksy thing when mm-hmm. he? Yeah. Well, a lot of people emailed me and yeah. said you did it first. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he he owes you some royalties. For that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> um, so. Do you have any stories about Dan Wyden? Anything that you can oh share that's a bit of, uh, uh, revelatory about him or the agency? I have, I have such an amazing relationship with both him and David Kennedy. You yeah. know, when I got hired there, they were both like my mentors. And Dan was my boss for a long time. I got to travel, to, you know, on mu- new business pitches from him and mm-hmm. really learn from him. So um, I have so many stories. But, 
you know, I just learned, I, I just, from Dan White and I really learned how to do things um, that push things forward, you know, do things that push things forward, do things that clients maybe aren't ready to go to, but kind of hold their hand and get them there. Because there's this funny thing, if you, if you don't push your client to do something interesting or to kind of really go out there and do what's right or what's needed or then you'll probably get fired. It's only a matter of time and you'll get fired. If you do push them, you might get fired, but at least you do something that kind of pushes things forward. And I feel that that was kind of a big lesson. Like, how do we, how do we um, you know, kind of be a partner to our clients and kind of hold hands and do the right thing to do? And the right thing to do is not always the easy thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, putting a message of, even last year, you know, with the work that we did for for Netflix, making room, you know, it was really hard. It was a really hard one that one because, you know, half the country is is not, you know, is resistant to making room, right? So even that that um, message was pretty provocative in the times we live in, right? We're kind of tapping into culture, tapping into something um, that's happening in culture and trying through that work to do the right thing. Like that is the kind of world that we need, that we all need. And that is the kind of message that we all need to hear and that we all need to kind of rally behind. And there's something so powerful when you can actually, you know, I feel advertising for me is such a huge, powerful industry because we have the responsibility and the power to change behavior. We have the responsibility and the power to um, affect things. You know, I don't know anything other than religion maybe that has that power, you know, because there's so much money behind this industry. Mm-hmm. So you ha- we, ha- I feel I have a responsibility to use that money towards something that actually moves the world forward, you know? Right. Of course, the question with that is always, well, who decides what's forward and who decides totally. what's, exactly. you know, what's progressive or yes. what's... And maybe some people don't want to, you know, don't want to. Right. Some some people just want to sell toothpaste. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And yes, and you do that sometimes too. Um, but it's interesting to think about that maybe sometimes you can actually do that stuff. Affect that, change. And yeah, like, affect and, change. And Wyden's been doing that with their work for Nike and and uh, you see that in other brands. It's, it's certainly um, having a moment now, the idea that you can be, you can have a brand that affects change in the world. Um are you seeing that as increasingly an imperative for brands or uh, it depends on the brand? For me, if I look at like, especially Gen Z, we've been working on a ton of Gen Z projects. If I look at Gen Z and that's the future, right? That's the future of this industry. I think they're expecting brands to have something like to have some purposeful, meaningful um, work. They want to align themselves with brands that are doing something, you know, that are kind of whether through actions or through, you know, things that they're, yeah, through actions, mostly like they want to get behind brands that are doing something um, purposeful in the world. You know, that's the brands that they want to align with. Um, yeah. And we're certainly seeing that in every, every survey we read and every, every news story that we get, every pitch we get is all about Gen Z and, and wanting um, more experiences, A, and B, um, purposeful brands, um, which is what you're doing uh, with Redding. I mean, your first client was uh, 
made with code, or the first project was made with code, right? Yeah, so the first project was with Google, and we we created Made With Code, so we named it, you know, Mm -hmm. we created that whole initiative. So um, we were able to take a brief and turn it into, you know, obviously with with Google, um, hand-in-hand with Google, to turn it into this whole initiative um, that inspired, engaged, and, you know, uh, sustained Girls to Code. Right, yeah. Uh, and what is and then you 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 did Lululemon's branding and what what else are you guys working on these days that you can talk about? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's like three things that I'm really excited about that I can't talk about. Cool. Um, well, you can feed it to our agency reporter when <laughs> perfect <laughs> when you're ready to. <laughs> um, well, so let's. Um, so you're 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 obviously an independent shop. Can you talk about the challenges of being independent and the opportunities of being independent? Obviously, the things that come to mind is you're more nimble. Yep. Uh, the challenge may be scale. Yep. Uh, talk about that experience for you. Um, I think we move much quicker than uh, kind of a more traditional agency. Um, we could do things in way less time. Um, I think we, I always talk about potency. Like I think there's just a, a potency to kind of when we work on stuff, we don't have 5 million layers of people. We don't have a million layers of approval. You know, it's a pretty flat structure. So um, how many people now? So if you count both here, so right now we're in the process of um, having a foot in Amsterdam. So mm-hmm. we'd like to have an office there by end of the year. And we're actually one of the projects we're working on to get is to basically be able to start that. Um, so between here and there right now, we have about 25 of us. So it's not, it's not very big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely able to be agile. And, and then the challenge of that? Um, you know, you don't have all the resources of the big agency mm-hmm. either. You know, you kind of have to be more resourceful. You have to... Um, problem solve a lot more mm-hmm. right because you're not depending on a million people have you had any like accentures come knocking at your door or anything along <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> is there a condition under which you you would sell is that is that a goal it's you know i never i never you know i didn't start this to kind of start an agency or sell an agency i just kind of did it because i thought it was a really interesting way to move through this industry that yeah. i thought that I had a really interesting background in. So who knows what will happen, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's well, let's talk about your background. You've, you sort of alluded to it a couple of times and it is really interesting. Uh, you were born in Egypt, raised in Lebanon and in, in Toronto. Uh, your first languages were Arabic and French. Yep. Is that right? Um, you didn't even begin formally studying English until college. Yeah, that was when I just like fully immersed in English. Yeah. Um, how do you, how important is being an outsider to your identity? Or do you think of it along those lines? You know, it's so interesting because I went, you know, I've traveled so many places in the world. And the weird thing is when I go anywhere. So I remember the first time I went to Tokyo, I felt at home. Oh, wow. Yeah. In a weird way. Maybe because I've just grown up in so many different places. Like I feel equally at home and equally like curious and kind of a new person in a new place. Um I think just the way I grew up, I feel I'm very, like, there's a lot of resiliency and a lot of adaptability and a lot of, like, 
I'm pretty good with change because I grew up not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, and I, a, you, were, you witnessed war firsthand. Yeah, yep. yeah. So you kind of grow up just not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. So that puts you in a really adaptable mindset. So I just kind of roll with it and make the best out of things. I don't really dwell on stuff. Like even in these times, I'm just like, okay, I know the things I need to focus on, the things that kind of fill this well, and I'm going to try to, like, r you know, leave away all the panic and all the craziness that's happening because I can't mm -hmm. control that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, yeah so like like you were saying with the travel, like you, or the, the coronavirus, for that matter. You can't, you can't, you can't worry about what you can't control. Mm -mm. Um, and, uh, I mean, I also imagine you're very striking looking. You grew up standing out just physically and visibly. As did I, and picked on, <laughs> and picked on. Uh, so I builds a lot of character. I, I can relate to I can relate to that. And, <laughs> and I remember when at one point when I was in high school, you know, I always didn't follow all the rules. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember my mom sat me down once, and she was like, "You will never get away with anything <laughs> because people will always see you." <laughs> it's true. No burning bridges. No. So you've, you've, you've used that to your advantage, I, I can tell. Well, it's a blessing and a curse. Like yeah. once you're, you have something you can't change, right, mm -hmm. you kind of learn to love it or learn to kind of embrace it because we can't stop having freckles, curly hair, red hair. You know, mm -hmm. it's just it, – it's either you hate yourself or you learn to love yourself. Those are your options. Yeah. And the um, – Learning to love yourself is much more pleasurable. <laughs> well, which, yeah, <laughs> more ways than one. Um, <laughs> you, you, um, you, you recently did a TEDx talk, uh, and and this sort of goes to what you just said. Um, you know, you love yourself or not love yourself. I, I like how you sort of frame it in your talk. You've you instead of the. It's so easy to play the victim. Why me? Why is it happening to me? Uh, you could have said that through your whole upbringing, I would imagine. But you flip that on its head uh, as evidenced by your career with why not me? Can you talk about that f philosophy and, you know, was there a process to arriving at it? Um, well, I grew up with this, and I mentioned this in my TED Talk. I grew up with um, this thing that we say in in Lebanese culture, which is alhamdulillah, which means I'm grateful for everything that comes or um, comes my way. And there's just something so beautiful with that, especially knowing the way I grew up and you know the things that I've seen or gone through. Being able to always be grateful, no matter what life throws at you, I think is kind of where that whole why not me kind of came from because okay something shitty really just happened right now I can either dwell on it and just sit in my misery and play the victim or I can take it and take it as an opportunity and grow from there mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm just constantly ch choosing to grow from there because the alternative doesn't get me anywhere really um, it's a very it's also a sort of very Zen mentality, and I know that you are a practitioner of yoga. It sort of seems to all fit together. It does. Uh, it's the master plan. How often do you do yoga? Um, I used to. I used to have a daily practice, mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, but since kids, that's kind of uh, mm -hmm. 
not been as, as daily as I hope. I try to fit it in as much as I can, you know. Mm-hmm. Even if I can only fit in a 15 or 20-minute practice, I'll do that. I do a lot of home practice mm-hmm. um, because of work and because of kids. And um, I just try to do whatever I can whenever I can. So whether that's yoga or meditation or anything to just kind of recenter. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you talk about how you infuse that ethos into work-life culture for your employees? Is that important to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I see everything through kind of that lens, even though I don't really talk about it through that lens, but Mm -hmm. I definitely see everything through that lens. Yeah. Uh, And I would imagine it plays into the clients you do choose to work with. Do do you ever sort of turn people away? There's definitely things that we don't want to work on. You know, if I feel that that client or that brand is really just not, you know, doing anything that is fundamentally good. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a hard time, obviously, the obvious ones are tobacco. And, Mm -hmm. um, but there's just some clients, it's really, really hard to do work that's inspiring when you're, you're kind of, um, or even kind of dig in and research and get your head around a client that you can't find anything that like you can gravitate towards, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so we try to, we just try to be better about, kind of aligning ourselves with people that we feel we can actually um, get behind. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a ton. I'd say 80, 90% of the jobs or the work that kind of comes to us or the clients that come to us, we can find something good in what they're doing. Um, it's just kind of a smaller 10%. Okay. Um, anything else on your mind? Any sort of trends that you're seeing in the, in the agency space? It's a hard time for agencies. It is a agencies. hard time. Well, one thing I was saying is, you know, a lot of people are being forced to work remotely. And Mm -hmm. I think um, we've kind of had a lot of different people work remotely just in the last six years anyway, because sometimes, you know, we're hiring people that are not just, you know, even though we're based out of Portland, Oregon, we have we have an art director in Stockholm. We have a strategist in Cape Town. We have um, a person who's leading our Amsterdam venture in Amsterdam, um, another person in London or in England. So I feel like we're already kind of working that way so it's kind of an interesting time i think a lot of people are going to kind of test out this new way of working this industry started out where it was very much about in person right it was the madman era the drinks the lunches the all that stuff and it's it's interesting that it's this thing is kind of making us forcing us to relook this, how this we work. virus specifically yeah, yeah we're going to get very good at virtual work spaces. virtual work and yeah. being able to not be need to be tethered to a table and a chair in an office and I think that there's something really interesting like I think this industry is gonna kind of grow from this in an interesting way you know mm-hmm. we're gonna learn to trust each other more and trust who we work with more and empower them to work um, and also more. probably have fewer meetings <laughs> fewer meetings <laughs> it's very hard to micromanage people if yes. you're, they're not right next to you you know so I think there's it's like the blessing in the you know, if you kind of... We'll see if we, <laughs> if we survive. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, let's, let's, let's wrap it up with working in, out of Portland. I mean, obviously, Wyden is, is there. Uh, it's not what you think of as an agency hub outside the industry. Do you find yourself going up against Wyden a lot because they're there? Or is no, we're... Do with it? No, um, Wyden's Wyden. Yeah. Wyden's always going to be Wyden. You know, at the, they're, they're li- literally like the scale of Wyden and 
their size and their competency and their creativity, like there's no one in the industry that is like that, right? They're the yeah. biggest independent and working consistently at that um, yeah, level. And two top Darela's two years in a row. Yeah, they, yeah. you know, they're they're you, we're we're a small shop compared to Wyden. <laughs> I think that it's a different offering, completely different yeah. offering. It was, a, it was a silly question, but <laughs> uh, but but Portland in general as a place to do. To be based. Yep. Obviously, it's working for you. Yeah, I think for me, it was, you know, I probably, if I had started this in, say, New York, I probably, it probably would have needed a much bigger investment. It would have probably needed a lot more people, you know? And I think um, in Portland, I was able to do it, you know, kind of bootstrap it and do it. So um, that helped. Mm -hmm. Great. So aside from we're all going to get better at virtual meetings and Slack, any predictions for the, the year or hopes? There's an election. I know. There's a lot going on this year. <laughs> I think election years are always interesting years for our industry regardless, right? And now you've layered on a virus that's kind of another layer of complexity. Um, I don't know. I always feel like in times of kind of these – not so good times, I'll just call it that. Mm -hmm. There's there has to be always opportunities to kind of do things either differently or um like we're problem solvers. We're problem solvers in this industry, right? Like we can look at it and say it could all be doom and gloom, or I can look at where the opportunities are. And I feel like just reframing it, going back to Alhamdulillah, going back to saying, you know, I'm grateful for everything including this thing that's making me really nervous or whatever. And how do I move from that place? How do I see the opportunities, see, okay, um, maybe it's not a great time, but how do we actually use this time to do something that's good? You know, somebody said to me the other day, um, maybe this is just kind of a time where we just have to kind of let go of everything that's either frivolous or not really serving us or, you know, it kind of, it's an interesting equalizer of um, just like, it kind of takes away all the stuff that maybe we're preoccupied with. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So maybe that's kind of, if we can get that out of it, help us kind of focus and re kind of have a, um, a sharper way going forward, I think that would be really good. Great. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. We'll check back in next year. See we'll if, see. If that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure speaking with Mira Kadora. She is, of course, the founder and ECD of Red & Company. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age, and you've been listening to the AdLib podcast produced by Max Sternlicht. Be sure to read us at adage.com. Subscribe to us. Subscribe to the magazine. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend. Give us stars. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Maybe we'll see you next week. It sort of depends on how things shake out over the next few days. Stay tuned for that. Mm -hmm.